welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the afternoon service of Saturday the 18th of February 2012, entitled, God is on a Mission for His Children, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. I want you to look at Luke chapter number 19 and verse number 10, very familiar verse of Scripture. In light of this, uh, the context of what, when it was said, Jesus Christ said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Um, of course, we know that this story is about a man named Zacchaeus, and a man who was uh, very rich. In other words, he was loaded down with wealth. And, um, you know, the Bible says, What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? We met and encountered a lot of people like that today, didn't we, Brother Leonard? trying to accumulate possessions and all kind of wealth and yet don't understand she's right over there uh, but um, in Luke chapter 19 look at verse 10 it says for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost do you know God's always been God's always been on a on a mission for his children um Take your Bible and open to John chapter 10. Uh, Flip over just another book and look at John chapter 10. And I want to show you something that kind of jumped off the page at me uh, not too long ago. You know, we read down through there and it says, you know, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall find pasture. Go in and out and find pasture. Then it says, a thief coming not before to steal, to kill, destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and he might have it more abundantly. Then he goes down and he talks about He's a good shepherd, and, you know, uh, a hireling don't take care of sheep. He basically is just doing it just to occupy time. But a true shepherd will tend to his sheep. He won't drive sheep. He'll lead them. Then he comes down in verse number 15, and he says, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now look at verse 16. It says, Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Huh. That's a pretty intriguing statement. See, God's always been on a quest for His children. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were told what? Adam and Eve were given one, one command. You can eat of every tree in the garden, but there's one that you cannot eat from. And do you know what? That's a lot like, young people, where we live today. God gives us a multitude of things that we can do. Just, I mean, a, 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 He wants to fill our cup. He wants to give us everything uh, that He desires for us. But the fact of the matter is, Brother Leonard, many times we want to desire or we yearn for that one thing God says you can't have. You know what? Well, I, 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 I give an illustration about my, my wife. Now, she's up there cooking, and I thank God she has worked diligently today, and I'm going to tell you that meal's going to be awesome. I promise you, you want to stay because it's going to be unbelievable. But my wife um, goes to the closet some mornings when we get up on Sunday, and she looks in her closet, and she says these words, and I can't believe she even says this, but she says, I don't have anything to wear. You don't have anything to wear. You ought to see our closet. I've got one little section, Brother Les, over here. It's got four jackets and five shirts crammed into a space that big because the closet is absolutely bulging with dresses and blouses and shoes and belts. Not my belts, 
her belts. But yet she don't have anything to wear. You know why I think, you know why I think we, we say that sometimes? It's because we saw something that we don't have. See, my wife saw a dress in the shop that she don't have, so she don't have anything to wear. She has to have that dress. You know, Adam and Eve were that way too. They looked at the one tree they could not have instead of the multitude of trees they could eat from. Now, young people, let me tell you something. It's always been that way, and guess what happened? They plunged the whole human race into sin because they partook of that, made an act of the will, made a choice, and it plunged the whole human race into sin. What did God have to do? God had to banish him out of the garden. You don't know why? Because after that, they had eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived in that, listen, that lost state forever and ever and ever and ever. God knew what he was doing. He banished them out of the garden. Guess what? He don't read too much farther than God. Listen, God says that the man, man sin on the earth and their thoughts were only evil continually and everything. They, they just sit around all day long thinking up ways to defy the God of heaven. You know what? You get to Genesis chapter number 6 and it says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah preached to those people righteousness, but yet, you know what? People wouldn't listen. God was wanting to work in the lives of people, but He said, I cannot let this go on anymore. I'm going to have to, listen, destroy this by flood. And He said, Noah, if you'll do what I say to do, you'll be glad you did. He said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. He said, build a what? He didn't know what an ark was. He said, why am I going to build an ark? He said, because it's going to rain. He said, it's going to do what? Had never seen rain. And you know what he said, Noah, if you'll do what I say to do, you'll be glad you did. And may I say this to all you young people, listen to me. If you'll do what Jesus said to do, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. Well, Noah's ark rested up there. He got his children in there. He had three sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and their family. Brought them on the ark. Guess what? Ark rested on the Mount of Ararat. They got off, built an altar. He told man, he said, y'all go and multiply and replenish the earth. And guess what? They didn't obey that completely. They didn't go in the whole earth. They kind of just stayed in one central location. And you don't have to read much farther than God's disappointed. And God has to say, you know what? I'm going to have to disperse man across the face of this earth. And the way that he did that was when he came to a point in Genesis chapter number 9 where they're building a tower trying to impress God. The Tower of Babel, which means confusion. Now I know that God probably had other options about dispersing man, and sometimes I wish he would have used another one besides the confounding of the languages. If you've ever been anywhere other than an English-speaking country and try to communicate with people, I wish that he would have used another way instead of the, the confusion of the languages. But that's the way God used it. That's the way God designed it. May I say this, young people? You read all through the Old Testament, every sacrifice, Romani, every priest, every prophet was saying, there is a Messiah coming. Listen, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. They sinned, what did he do? After they sinned, they took and they made coats from an animal. They took and sacrificed an animal, took the coats of that animal, made skins for themselves, and listen, they had to have something to cover their sin to cover their nakedness. Because when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were open and they saw themselves for exactly what they were. 
Young people, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You can look at the Tower of Babel. You can look at the, at the, uh, at the flood. And do you know what God was doing through all of those things? He was saying, I am searching for my people. I want my people to turn their heart back to me. And, and everything in the Old Testament was saying, there is a Messiah coming. There's a Messiah coming. There's a Messiah coming. But you get to the New Testament, and the New Testament says he's here. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Do you know what? When God created man, He said, Let us make man in our own image. Who was God talking to? <laughs> Jesus Christ. He said, Let us make man in our own image. And man, listen, God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life and he became a living soul. God took dirt and made a man out of it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? God breathed into him the, the breath of life and he became a living soul. But everything in the Bible is saying God is on a search for his people. He is on a mission. Listen, you don't have to read much farther into Scripture. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter number 8. I want to show you something. Acts chapter number 8. What we did today was absolutely essential in the day and age in which we live where we say, what in the world's going on? I can tell you what's going on. People are dying without Christ. That's what's going on. And you know what, young people? It may be uncomfortable. It may not be the most popular thing in the world. It may not be uh, the, the, the funnest thing that you've ever done. But I can tell you this. When you go out there and you give the gospel out, God promised us that His Word would not return void unto Him, but it would accomplish thereunto where it's sent. And I promise you, if you'll give the Word of God out, there'll be people that mock you just like the days of, uh, of Mars Hill. There was some that said, we'll answer you again on this matter. Some even mocked and laughed, Pastor, but some cleaved unto what he said. There's going to be some day that's going to laugh and mock us. There's going to be some that go, hmm... I'll get back to you about this. You know, those thinkers. I'll get back to you. But there's some you know what will believe. What about your friends? Some of you got friends right now that would bust hell wide open if they died. Some of you got family members, you know what, that are, listen, going to die without Christ. And if you don't tell them, who's going to? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? Some of you in here are first-generation Christians. There's nobody in your family that has been converted by the power of God. They've never, ever answered the woo of, of the Holy Spirit to draw them to Calvary. They've never been saved. And who's going to tell them about Jesus if you don't do it? And you know what scares me? Is there's people out there today on that, in the city center that were just as passionate, if not more, than us about spreading false lies than about the truth that we have. Amen? God's on a mission. God is seeking His children. Look at Acts chapter number 8. In Acts chapter number 8, you know, it says, look at verse number 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Listen, folks, this was a time where 
multitudes of people were being saved by the grace of God. You get over here in, uh, in, in the latter part of the chapter and Philip's preaching a great revival in a place called Samaria and God takes him, listen, and literally translate him all the way out into the desert to talk to one Ethiopian eunuch who's looking for God. There is one man who has gone to Jerusalem looking for God and that's the city of God and guess what? When he gets there, he can't even find him. I wonder if somebody came to your church seeking God, would they find him? I wonder if somebody came knocking on your door and said, you know what? Somebody told me you were a Christian. I'm having some real problems. I've wanted to take my life. Can you give me some help? I wonder, would there be somebody that came seeking you because there was something different about you? Philip goes out there and he takes the scripture where he got where he bought uh, listen that Ethiopian eunuch somewhere or another got a copy of Isaiah and he's reading from the scriptures and he said can you explain to me who what what this is talking about is it talking about himself or some other man and he took him from there and he expounded the scriptures and preached unto him Jesus and that Ethiopian eunuch who went to Jerusalem looking for God got saved you read another chapter over. In, listen, in Acts chapter number 9, Paul recounts his conversion on the Damascus Road. You get to Acts chapter 10 and Cornelius, who is a Gentile dog soldier, who has enough, listen, has enough light, Brother Leonard, that he knows he's in darkness. And guess what happens to him? Old gospel comes a-knocking, and he gets saved and all of his family. Let me tell you something, folks. If you look at it, if, listen, Noah, you know what's amazing to me? In Genesis chapter number 9, God had to confound the languages to disperse man, but in Acts chapter number 2, He made them all speak in different languages, yet they all understood. Hey, listen, in, listen, in Genesis chapter 6, God had to disperse man by a worldwide flood. He wanted to, listen, He said, I can't have it no more. I've got to destroy man and start all over because they're, they're, their, their thoughts are only evil continually and all they do is sit around and think about ways to defy me. And he said, I've got to destroy it with a flood. And guess what? Noah and his family came off that boat and made an altar to him and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Now think about this. In Acts chapter number 8, an Ethiopian eunuch gets saved by the grace of God. Guess what he does, who, who, who's he descended of? Ham. He's an Ethiopian. He's a descendant of Ham. You get to Acts chapter number 9, Paul, who is a Jew, gets saved. He's of the line of Shem. You read Acts chapter 10, Cornelius gets saved. He's a Gentile. He's of the line of Japheth. Ham, Shem, Japheth. May I say this? Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in His sight. God is looking to save people. It doesn't matter what ethnic group, doesn't matter who you are, don't matter how much affluency you got, don't matter how much money you got, or how much you don't have. God is searching for people, and He wants to use us to do that. And you say, well... Why would you speak on this topic? Because I promise you the greatest need today, the greatest need today, and look at me, I'm almost done. The greatest need today in our, in, in this economy, this time that we live, God, listen to me guys, God is looking for a servant that will be used of God in God's hand to witness to people. It doesn't matter. Listen, God said He would yield the increase if you would just sow the seed. 
You know how liberating that is, Brother Les, that all I've got to do is sow the seed and reach down in the sack and just sling it out there, and God said, if you'll do that, I, listen, I'll yield the increase. I like what one old preacher said. He said, I like to fish for men. He said, I catch them, God cleans them. What about you? The Son of Man came to him to seek and to save that which was lost. We rub shoulders with every, people every single day, and I wonder if we got a burden for them like Jesus had a burden for people. You know what I found out, young people? What Listen, what you see with your eye ought to affect your heart. What you physically see with your eye ought to affect your heart. I watched a couple, two young ladies that were locked arms, and you could tell they just wasn't good friends. You know what I'm talking about. Today, they were walking toward our way, uh, Pastor Larry, and they, listen, they sidestepped us, went all the way around that hot, hot, hot sausage uh, cart, went all the way around us just so they could get away from us, and I watched as my wife made a beeline for them, and they wouldn't have nothing to do with her. Do you know what? Their decision to reject it, their decision to reject it, I'm not going to stand and give an account of. I'm going to give an account of what I've done or what I have not done. Now I want to ask you a question tonight. If we're living in a day and age in which we know Jesus Christ could come back at any minute, do you believe that? Say amen. That was weak. Do you believe that? Say amen. You believe Jesus could come back tonight? Well, if we really believe that, why don't it change our lives? I'm talking to me too. Young people, I listen, there ain't nobody that loves to go out and sing and and witness, and I love doing that. But here's the thing. Are we really burdened to the point to where what we see with our eyes affects our heart? Because what Jesus saw, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion. You know what that means? He was moved to the point of tears. I'll finish with this. i got a friend. He's a pretty prominent preacher in America. His son was sick almost 18 years ago. Sick to the point to where they were going to have to do an operation. What was basically happening, guys and girls, his rib cage was growing through his organs and almost affecting his spinal cord. They did not know what to do. They said, we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to do some major operation. We're basically going in, first of all, for exploratory surgery to see what is exactly going on inside this young man. He was 12 years of age. His father went and they got the pre-op date. They went to the to hospital. Uh, the doctor said, we cannot let anybody, because it's such an extensive surgery and because it's going to be so massive, we've got to give him loads of antibiotics and he's going to be out and he don't need no visitors. So we're going to be on the 10th floor and we're going to, listen, basically shut off the whole 10th floor to you and your family and nobody can come up, no visitors. He said, all right. That was 6 o'clock, Dave, in the evening. They got up there about 8 o'clock. His little boy looked at him, 12-year-old boy, and said, Dad, he said, um, can we watch TV? He said, I want to watch something. You could tell he was obviously nervous. It's a 12-year-old boy getting ready to go into the knife, and he could die. His dad said, sure. They, got, they watched TV, I guess, for two hours. They got done with that. He said, Dad, can we read the Bible together? He got down and got the Scripture up, uh, read, read some portions of Scripture to him, so he'd be an encouragement to him. They got done reading to him, and then he looked at him and said, Dad, he said, I don't want to go to sleep. He said, why, son? He said, you're not sleepy? He said, no, I'm just nervous. He said, I'm afraid. And he said, would you just pray with me? 
And that dad got down and they prayed, I guess he said for what seemed like about an hour and a half, two hours. After they got done praying, he said his dad watched as he prayed after his son had prayed. You know, many times, I guess just the voice of your father kind of lulls you to sleep. And he fell to sleep and he said, praise the Lord. He said, my son's resting. He said it wasn't a short time later that he fell asleep himself. He, he was awoke at about 2.45 in the morning. Now he knew, he thought he was dreaming, he knew there was to be no visitors. None. 2.45. He gets up, he stretches, he looks at his watch, he says, man, must be a nurse. I'm going to go check the door. He opens the door, Tim, there's nobody there. After he got done closing the door and he heard that again, he realized that it wasn't coming from the door, it was coming from the window outside. Excuse me, ten floors up. Ten stories off the ground. Somebody's knocking on the window. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that'd scare me to death. I believe I'd, I believe I'd just fall over right then. I'm going to go be with Jesus. Well, he said, I thought I was dreaming. He said, I went over, I pulled back the shades. And there stood a woman on the fire escape in her coat. Her hair is just, the wind's got her hair blowing all over the place. She's standing there like this. And she's just a shivering. She's cold as she can be. Wind's whipping. And he says, and this he said, I was in such a weird state. I had just woken up. Here's a woman standing on the fire escape of my son's 10 floor, 10 story room. And he said, I thought I'm dreaming. I've had a nightmare. A bad piece of pizza or something, you know? And he looked at her and he went, What are you doing? And she said, I'm freezing. Open the window. <laughs> well, he opened the window and he said, What are you doing? She started crying. He said, Number one, how'd you even get up here? She began to explain. She said, You don't remember me, do you? And David said, no, I don't remember you, ma'am. Who are you? He said, when you guys moved into the Atlanta area years ago, you came and visited at a church and you told us about five, six years ago that your son had been ill and this problem was taking place. And she said, when I heard through the grapevine that your son was having this surgery, she said, I got down and I begged God for an opportunity because, see, he was in my Sunday school class. See, this lady that was up on that fire escape, used to be his Sunday school teacher. She said, you know what? I prayed that God would allow me an opportunity to come to see that boy because I was so burdened for him. He said, well, can I ask you something, ma'am? How would you get up here on this fire escape 10 stories off the ground? She said, well, I got to the hospital, found out where he was at, went in there, they said no visitors. So she went out to her car and Abby started walking around the car just praying. She said while she's praying and walking around her car, some 50, 60 times she felt like, she said a cop, a bobby drove up, a police officer drove up and said, ma'am, can I help you as your car broke down? She said, no, I'm just praying. And, she, and he said, what are you praying about? She said, there's a young man on the tent floor and he could die in surgery tonight if they don't fix what's wrong with him. And he used to be in my Sunday school class. And she said, I've, and this is what she said to that officer, she said, I've got to get to him. I've got to get to him. You know what that police officer was? Unless that police officer was a believer too. He looked at her and he said, uh, 
He said, I'll tell you what. He said, if you don't tell nobody, I won't. He said, I, I'll make sure I've got a lock to the fire escape because I've got the keys. I run security for this hospital. I've got the lock to the fire escape. I'll pull it down. And if you don't tell nobody, I'll let you on that fire escape and you can go up to the window. Isn't God good? And she looked at that man and she said, with tears coming down her face, all I knew was I had to get to your son. You know what? Some of you may not understand this. But God wants to use you to reach people just like that. See, God takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things with them. If you know what, I can't remember, was it Hudson Taylor that said, "Do hey, listen, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to do what that lady did? I just have to get to them. If tonight we found out after we had been here for, I don't know, another hour, hour and a half, and one of those little precious babies that was running around here just a minute ago got missing. Think about this. We start looking for that baby. And go, where's Lucas at? Where's Lucas? You couldn't find him. And you start going, well... Maybe he's out in the street. Well, we'll go and look a little farther. And everybody, we start splitting up, Pastor. We start going out looking for Lucas. I guess 45 minutes goes by, Romano. We can't find him. You know what? I dare say there'd be a person in here and go, Oh, well, he's gone. If you do, you need a heart transplant. You know what most of us do? We probably, listen, some of us don't have vehicles here, but some do. You know what some would do, Pastor? Some would get in their car and physically go out and just comb the area to look for that child. Some would say, well, I can't drive, preacher, and I don't have no money, but you know what I'll do? I'll stay here and pray, and I'll make sure that there are sandwiches for those that are going out looking. Listen, some couldn't do that, and some couldn't even physically get up and go because of infirmities, but you know what they could do? They could take their wallet out and say, here, you know what, here's some money so you can put gas in your car to go look for that baby because we got to find him. But yet we'll let, our, we'll let our family spend an eternity in a Christless place because of inconvenience. You know what I say, folks? I say God help us to be like Jesus. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want all of y'all to look at me and I'm going to be done and we'll pray. When's the last time you shed any tears over somebody you go to uni with? Over an uncle? Over a brother? Over a sister? Pastor, over our kids? Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, I'm looking for them too. When's the last time you shed a tear over your friends? When's the last time you had a burden for you? Listen, for people that go to school with you that you know, listen, I wish, I wish I would have listened to Holy Spirit every time He's burdened my heart to go talk to somebody. But the truth of the matter is, I speak to my shame that I haven't. I haven't always yielded to the Holy Spirit and been led by Him in every situation. His name was Aaron. Aaron was in my church. I pastored my first church when I was 28 years of age. 
Aaron was going to go into the Marine Corps. But Aaron didn't have an earthly father. His earthly father left and got, listen, got addicted to drugs, cracked cocaine, and just made a ruin of his life. He died overdosing. He was left with a single mother. His grandfather, who was his only father figure on the earth, died when he was about seven years old. And you know what the Holy Spirit of God told me many times? Oh yeah, he came to our church. He was in our youth group. I tried to encourage him, but he seemed to be a little off. And he seemed to be a little off standish to me and to any other authority. But you know what? That shouldn't matter. Well, love people if they hate us. Paul said, I will, listen, I will gladly spend and be spent, though the more I love you and the more you hate me, I will spend and be spent. That means give my life, my resources, whatever I got to do to reach people. Tim Aaron one day went to his grandmother's house. He spoke to her for about 30 minutes. Brother Leonard got in his truck, drove a mile and a half from his grandmother's house, pulled a shotgun from out underneath the seat, and at 18 years of age, he put it underneath his chin, and he went off into eternity. Can I tell you where God told me to go the day before that happened? The Lord told me to go to His house. And guess what? I was too busy. I was too busy. You're going to be too busy for your friends. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, to whom much is, Luke 12, too much is given, much shall be required. I want to ask you something. Are you going to be like Jesus? Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Jesus said, I have to go to a man's house named Zacchaeus because he was all about people. I said it last night. Do you want to be somebody or do you want to serve somebody? The difference is you. You.